Thank you so much that you are the most beautiful. Thank you that you're present here, that we trust that you are in our midst. Um, We love you and we worship you, God. We ask that you would speak to us, that you would minister to our hearts right now. Um, You know where we're at. You know all of us, God. Thank you that um, you are overwhelming, (laughs) that when we get a glimpse of you, when we understand who you are, that you do overwhelm um, our soul and our mind. And so we ask that now that you would speak to us, that we would hear, give us a receptive heart and open mind, that we would submit our lives to you. It's in your name that we pray, Christ. Amen. Awesome. Good morning. Well, if you're new, we are going through uh, a series called The Big Ten, and so we are going through the Ten Commandments. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we went through the first commandment. The first commandment is uh, put the Lord your God first and only. And so that's kind of the big idea is that God is to be first and only, is that we are to worship him and no one else. And so all of us at times struggle with that. We struggle with idolatry. We struggle with putting other things before God. But when we realize who God is, we will put him first. And we realize that by putting him first, it actually flourishes. Everything else in our life um, fits in place. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added into you. And so first commandment deals with who we worship, right? We worship God only. The second commandment that Colin talked about last week was how we worship and that we don't worship uh, carved idols. And so when we seek to worship, we must be careful because often we make God into our own image. And so we create things that help us to worship God, but then we end up worshiping the things we create rather than the God that they are depicting. And so when we are using symbols or even when we look at the cross or do different things, we must remember that that does not encompass all that God is, that God is much bigger than what our minds can fathom. And we must be careful not to worship created things rather than creator God. So those have been the first two commandments. We are going to jump into uh, into the third commandment today, which talks about the Lord's name. And so if you're not a Christian, um, if you're perhaps far from God, so glad that you're here. Um, Maybe I'm hoping today that uh, the sermon is going to kind of answer why in the world do Christians take God's name so serious? Why is God so adamant about why, uh, you know, his name is to be not taken in vain? Because I'm sure that sometimes non-Christians kind of think like, why are they so stuck up? Why are they so serious about God's name? It's just a name. Um, and so hopefully today's sermon might explain that. And if you are a believer, if you come here and you're a Christian, um, I just want to encourage you to understand why is God so serious about his name and what does it mean that we are to revere and to, to honor God's name. So, but before we jump in, um, I am going to need a little bit of crowd participation. So, are you guys up for that? Yes? Oh, man, that was really weak. Come on. Are you guys up for some crowd participation? Yes. Okay. That was, that was a little bit better. That was a little bit better. Okay. So I'm going to have some names. They're going to come up, some names and some pictures. And I want you to tell me what you think when you see or you hear of that person's name. So our first one's Michael Jordan. What do you think of when you hear Michael Jordan? You see him? Basketball. Basketball. Right. Okay. Next up, we have Mother Teresa. Saint. Saint. What else? Anything else besides Saint? What? Uh, Calcutta, Calcutta, okay, awesome. What else? Uh, next we have George Washington. The dollar, oh wow, the dollar bill. <laughs> Sorry, George. You, uh, forget that you were first president, you were on the dollar bill. <laughs> so, apparently we think of money when we see George Washington. Good to know. Uh, our next one is, we have Hitler. Evil, evil, right? Genocide, evil. We have all these things, okay? Next, now we have, what do you think of when you hear the name God? Everything. Everything. Merciful, magnificent, 
all of these, all of these things. So the reason I do this is because we attach action to names. We, we put people's names and we connote them with action. And so, uh, the, the verse that we're going to be in is Exodus 20, verse 7. And it says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The big idea, the big idea for today is that we are to, to honor or to revere God's name, right? And so if you are taking notes, this is the big idea. This is something to write down is that we are to revere and we are to honor God's name. Why? Why, why are we to honor and to revere God's name? Well, the first thing is that we are to honor and we are to revere God's name is because God is present in his name, right? What we just did, we played a game, you know, and like kind of like thought about all the different actions that are connoted when we think of a person's name. And, and the important thing is to realize is that names symbolize people, right? Is that you don't like have a name that's just kind of wandering out there and doesn't connote or doesn't mean something. Is that somebody's actions correspond with their name. You know, the difference between us and the Jewish culture, though, is that for us, a name is just kind of a label, right? We, you know, you hear Trevor, or you're Colin, or you hear Lissette, or you hear these names, and it's not like, well, man, I really know what they're like now, because I've heard their name, right? You don't know anything about who I am, or about how I operate, or what I think, by just hearing that name. You know, so we use names as labels, and those labels, you know, if you hear a name, you kind of think of like the big things that that person's done, like we did, like the dollar bill. Um, but, but you don't really know who they are. But you see, the Jews, they use names to express their inward identity, express the very essence of who they are. And so Adam, the first man, the first person, his name literally means man, or it means created. And so, uh, Joseph has another name. Joseph is, uh, is the last figure in Genesis. And his name means, may Jehovah add or give increase, right? Which fits in exactly if you read the story of Joseph, because through Joseph, God gave add and increase to the whole nation of Egypt and to his family. Another one is Hosea. Hosea, his name means salvation, which was perfect because Hosea was to be a prophet demonstrating God's great love and and his faithfulness to an unfaithful nation. And so you see, the Jews used names to express the inward identity and the exact essence of the person. And this is true with God too. This is part of why we take God's name so serious is because God is in his name, right? Elohim. Elohim is the first first word we get of God in Genesis. And it means um, creator or powerful one. The next name that uh, that God gives to Moses, right? God appears to Moses in the burning bush and he gives him this name. He says, this is who you were to tell Pharaoh is coming to set my people free. And it's Yahweh, and it means I am that I am, or the self-existent one. And, and another name is, he's called Adonai, which means master, right? And, and Jehovah Jireh is another one. It's Genesis 22. It's amazing, right? When Abraham is about to sacrifice his son because he, God says, I will be worshipped only. God provides a ram that Abraham sees. And, it, and it, he goes, on the mountain of the Lord, it, it's, God provides and so Jehovah Jireh means that God is provider. God is the one that provides. And so you see that God is found in his name. It's found in his name. Uh, Ed Clowney, he writes this. He says, when the Bible speaks of God's name, it is not indicating that a particular set of letters carries some mystical power. The name of God is the Bible's way of speaking of God's presence in his revelation. Using God's name as a serious act, not because certain sounds are holy, 
but because God himself is present in his name. And all of his works reveal that name. In this sense, it is impossible to disassociate, disassociate God's name from his person, identity, and character. You see, God is concerned with his name because God is present in his name. When we speak of God's name, God is there. Right? It's not that G-O-D has any, you know, those letters have any massive significant power because in Russia it's bog. And so, you know, we, we say bog and that has no massive significance for us, but it's that God is present when his name is spoken, that he is there in it. And so to take God's name in vain is to take God in vain, is to take God in vain. The closer you are, the closer you are to someone, the more their name means to you, right? So we just saw general people that I'm assuming none of us really have intimate connection with, some of them because they're they're dead, um, but we don't really know them, and so we just get the broad sweep of who they are and what their actions you know, bring to mind. But if I were to say maybe someone that you know a little closer, maybe a coworker or maybe a friend, you might have, I mean, right, we might all have different things that come to mind when we think of their name. Now bring it even closer. What if you have a family member or your spouse, someone that you're really intimate with, you're really close with, their name means all kinds of things to you, doesn't it? Right? You, you think of their name and all these different emotions, all these different senses come upon you because you connect their name to who they are. I think one of the reasons that we are able to take God's name in vain is because we don't know him. Is because we are not close with him. Because if you were to have someone take someone, your a loved one's name and just run it through the gutter, you would be massively offended and you would stick up. Right. You and you wouldn't. Right. I mean, you wouldn't begin to take one of your loved one's names in vain and and run it through the gutter. So I think one of the things that this teaches is that often the reason that people take God's name in vain, that we take God's name in vain is because we aren't very close to him. We aren't very close to him. And so we revere God's name because God is present in his name. The second reason we revere God's name because God is holy and God's name is holy. God's name is holy. Um, so Sinclair Ferguson, he says, God's holiness means he is separate from sin, but holiness in God also means wholeness. God's holiness is his godness. It is his being God in all that it means for him to be God, to meet God in his holiness. Therefore is to be altogether overwhelmed by the discovery that he is God and not man. When Moses first encounters God at the burning bush, he says, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. You see, to encounter God is to realize that he is altogether pure and outside of sin. But not only that, but it's to realize that he is creator and we are creation. That he is powerful and we at times are weak. That he has no limits, but we are limited. And you see, to come into contact with something so holy, with something so different, it changes you. It humbles you. I think often the reason that we don't change or we don't even realize that we need to change is because we make God in our image. Is that we don't think or understand that God is holy, and so therefore we don't think that we need to change because we think that he's like us. We think that he's okay with sin, that he's okay with these things, rather than realizing that in his presence he destroys sin. Right, Isaiah falls down his feet in one of the most famous passages is that he falls down because he's afraid that he will be uncreated because of God's holiness, because of his perfection. God is holy. And I think one of the reasons we don't see God holy is because we don't rest. 
So Colin is going to talk about that, about what it means to have Sabbath um, in a couple weeks. But when we rest, we stop and cease from our doing, and we're able to connect to God, and we're able to see him for who he is. And so we revere God's name because God is holy, and his name is, his name is holy. The Jews wouldn't even say God's name. Literally, Yahweh, they would spell out with consonants. They wouldn't put vowels in it. The high priest would be the only one to, to associate and to say God's name, and that would happen once a year at the Day of Atonement. They would use God's name to bless. God's name was sacred, and it was profound, and it was holy to them. And so we've lost a sense of what is sacred, for what is holy. I see this. So Saturday morning, I play, I play basketball, and the guys will curse up a storm, right? They don't mind. I mean, it's not terrible, but they, they don't mind, like, kind of throwing some curse words out. But as soon as a child enters in, all of a sudden, they're like, hey, man, watch it. Hey, hey, you need to calm down with the language, right? Why? Because they realize something innocent is there, something that is sacred, something that is holy, right? But we, we've lost that as a culture. We've lost that as a people of realizing that there are things that are sacred. We've forgotten that God himself is sacred. And we've made him profane. We've made him mundane. And so we're able to run his name through the gutter because we don't know who he is. But not only is God holy and transcendent, but Jesus in the New Testament, he gives us a whole other reason to revere God's name because God's name is personal and intimate. So he gets, the Old Testament really speaks a lot, and it speaks to God's intimacy, but you see in the Old Testament, God's transcendence, his power in his name. In the New Testament, you see Jesus enters in, and the, the predominant word that Jesus uses for God is Father, is Abba, which literally means Papa. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and he starts calling God his Papa. And the Jews are kind of like, what do you mean God is your Father? And Jesus continues to show them that God is so intimate and so caring. So not only is the God that is transcendent and holy and creator, but he also became like creation, becoming man. And so God is is intimate and he is loving. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about it and he says, Why do you worry? Why do you worry about what you are to eat or what you are to drink? Don't you know that the Lord knows all the hairs in your head? He knows what you are to eat and what you are to drink and he cares for you. You're much more value than the birds of the air or the grass of the field. And so what he talks about over and over again is that your heavenly father isn't just above and beyond you, but he is in and near you. Do you know that God is present with you right now? Where you're at, God is here. I think one of the beliefs that we need to really stick deep down in our soul is that God is present everywhere. Because we come in Sunday morning and we think, well, this is my God time. And we forget that no matter where you are, God is with you. That God is not concerned about you having holy moments or holy times or holy places, but how you becoming holy as he is holy. God is intimate with you. He is personal. He is always, always with you. And so we are to revere God's name because he is present in his name. We're to revere God's name because he is holy and we are to revere God's name because he is intimate and he's personal and he is loving, right? You, you don't always revere somebody's name just because they're powerful, right? Because if someone's powerful, you revere their name when they're present before you. But when they're gone, you use their name however you want to. But when you care for someone and you realize how much, you care, how much they care for you, you're much more liable to honor their name everywhere because it's intimate and it's close to your heart. And so if you think that 
your time with God is limited to a space or a location rather than all the time, you're going to be much, it's going to be much easier to, to turn God's name and use it however you please, whenever you please, because he isn't who consumes your life. He isn't who's leading you and who's guiding you. So we see that, uh, that God's holiness changes us. Um, next, I want us to step on to, so we've talked about why do we revere God's name, right? Why? Now we're going to talk about how. So how, how do we revere God's name? I'm sure most of you, like as I came into this sermon thinking, man, we're going to talk a lot about like just using like God's name as a curse word. You know, like I kind of thought about like, okay, what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? And then I think of a lot of people or, you know, at times when we just take God's name as a, as a curse word. And that's a part of it. You know, I don't think the Lord made his name to be used as an explicitive in sentences. I think it has a, a much deeper meaning than that. Um, but that's a part of it. And so I want to run through five different ways in which um, we take the Lord's name in vain and he calls us to honor his name. So the first one is that we are to remember that God's name is sacred and not profane. And so this includes curse words, is that sometimes we get angry or we use an explicative and we use God's name as a curse word because we often take what is most holy and we use it for what is most profane. I was reading a story about a pastor that was on a speaking itinerary in the Midwest and he had spoken and he was tired, he was getting on a flight and he was about to come home and he was really looking forward to getting some good rest. And as he's sitting there, two salesmen in front of him start just cursing up a storm. So they are just peppering their their language with profanity over and over again. And he's trying to ignore it. He's trying to just kind of take take some rest. And as he's trying to disengage, they start running the Lord's name through the through the gutter. They just start using the Lord's name in vain. And so he he's in that instance he stands up and kind of looks down at him and he says, and he says, "Are either one of you gentlemen in the ministry?" And both of them, one of them turns around and looks and goes, "What the would make you think that?" And he goes, well, I am in the ministry, and I'm really impressed with your communication skills. You see, you said God, damn, hell, and Jesus Christ all in one sentence. He goes, I can't get that into a whole sermon, right? And so, and immediately, immediately both of the salesmen blushed, and he didn't hear a word from them for the rest of the flight. And so I think that it's important that we stick up, that we stand up for God's name. I think it's important also that we do so in a way that is tactful, in a way that is humble in a way that is loving. And so it's important that we realize that God's name is sacred and not profane, that we are to use it for sacred purposes. Second one is that we aren't to use it in empty and cliche ways, but we are to use it for its intended purpose. I think one of the most frequent ways that Christians take God's name in vain is we come and we worship, and we just say God's name frivolously as we sing. Not because it's actually what's on our heart, but it's just because it's there. That when we come to worship, it's there's a balance because our hearts aren't always faithful. So we come to worship sometimes and our hearts are just like heavy and disinclined and we need to call on God's name to give us even desire to worship. But some of us come to worship and we approach it very flippantly. And we approach it very, uh, just as, as common rather than something that is sacred, rather than something that is powerful. One of the other ways that we use it is just you see it slapped around. So OMG, right? I mean, God's name is meant more than to be expressions for middle school and high school girls. Um, so we are to use God's name not just for cliche and random ways, but we are to use it for its ten purposes. You know, when you say, oh, you know, you're just talking, you say praise the Lord, do you really mean that? 
Do you really mean praise the Lord? Or you just say that because that's an expression. And so we were to think through and we were to say, like, I actually mean those things rather than just kind of using them as common day language. God's name is more than that. Second, uh, or the third, if you're keeping track, is uh, that we are to realize power is found in God's name. So for the Jews, there were three ways that kind of taking God's name in vain looked like. The first one was sorcery, which is what this is. Then it was false prophecy, and then it was false oaths. And so what they would do in sorcery is that this is twofold. Is in sorcery, there would be people that they would go to other gods, and they would find their power and their source of help in other gods. And so they would attribute that there was power outside of God's name to change them. I think this is exactly what we struggle with. Is it what what do you trust in when you're hurting? Where do you go when times are tough? Because that reveals what you think power is found in. So as Colin talked about, the almighty dollar, right? There are times at which when we're hurting that we find power in money. And so we think that money is what will actually rescue us and save us. And so we see it. Our lives are guided by it and pulled all around when we seek money as our God. Right when we think power is found in it. What about self-help? Often I hear people say, "Well, you know, I uh, I just need to uh, to kind of get back up on my feet." And this person tells me that God only helps those who help themselves, right? Which is a lie. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves. Aren't we all thankful for that? Right. That's the exact point. Is that power is only found in God's name? Right. Do we trust doctors when we're sick? Do we say God can use doctors, but my trust isn't in them. My trust is in God. And so part of sorcery was that they would go and they would find power or they would attribute power to other places outside of God and outside of his name. The other way that they would use sorcery is that they would try to use God's name as like a code word. So like they would have like a spell and they would kind of like use God's name as a key to unlock whatever they wanted to get. And so I see this. Some of you have grown up in, in super Pentecostal backgrounds. I have experienced some super Pentecostal backgrounds. There's nothing necessarily wrong, but I've seen at times where people will stand up and they'll go, in Jesus' name, and then they will speak something that they think will happen, um, as if Jesus' name automatically validates anything that they are going to say. And can I tell you it doesn't? <laughs> it doesn't. Um, you can't use Jesus' name as a code word to just get what you want, um, that it doesn't work that way. You can't just use his name a- apart from who he is. Um, and this, honestly, this is pretty comical, but in Acts 19, there's an instance of this. So in Acts 19, Paul is going to Ephesus, and uh, and he's there about three months. He's proclaiming the gospel, and, and God is using and doing all kinds of things through Paul. Right? He's touching handkerchiefs, and people are grabbing the handkerchiefs, and they're being healed. And so God is doing miracles through Paul, and uh, and he's proclaiming Jesus. Well, there's these, these seven sons of this high priest, and they apparently made some kind of business out of exercising demons, which is a really interesting business idea. Um, but they, they used this whole idea of, like, we're going to go, we're going to exercise demons, we're going to make an income from it. And they found that Paul had been using this name of Jesus. And so they're like, hey, you know, this, this seems to be working for him, so maybe we'll give it a try. So they go into this house to exercise this demon, and they get the tar beat out of them. Like it, and the text says that they left there ashamed, and they left there naked. Like they didn't have their pants on. Right? When you go into a fight and you lose your pants, you lost. Like you lost. All right? If you like go in there and you, you left, you had clothes on when you came in, and when you left, you didn't. Like, man, that's a bad story. 
And worse, like, worse yet, worse yet, like, everybody knew about it. Like, and it says, like, all the regions heard about the story, man. Like, I, I guess that's, like, how you kill a business. Um, and so they ran their business into the ground uh, by trying to use and take God's name in vain. But the amazing thing after that, it's so, it's so awesome, is that it says that God's name was extolled and that it brought revival. You see, when God's name is honored, and it says that they had 50,000 pieces of silver, which for us is almost is at least several million, if not more. And so there was a revival that broke out in the city because God's name was honored, is that people began to be saved when God's name is feared. Right? God's name is not meant to be just some key that you were to throw around outside of relationship with him, or else you might find yourself beaten and naked by a demon. Um. The fourth one is that don't use God's name to manipulate. So false prophecy. And I think this one is probably the most dangerous that, that we run into. Um, and so in the Old Testament, you would have prophets that would say, they, w- they would come to people and they would say, thus says the Lord, but the Lord never sent them. And so they would say these things because um, they either wanted people to like them, they wanted favor, they wanted money, and they would deceive and they would manipulate God's people for their own agenda. Because they wanted what they wanted, and they told God to get on page with me. Man, and this is so true. How often do we drop God's name because we want somebody to like us? Right? Is that we put God's name down on a, you know, on whatever it is because we think that that will increase our favor, increase somebody's ability to like us on a business. How many businesses do you see that at times they, they're going to use God's name to increase their profitability? That God's name is, is a marketplace. Not only this, but what about political mascots, right? I think both sides will use God's name to say God supports this or God supports this. And they attach God's name to something so that, you know, they might have more support in it. Another way is that we misuse scripture. There are times that we don't, we don't know what the scripture says. And so we misuse it to meet our needs and our desires is we get in there and we say, well, I'm not really sure, but this kind of sounds like it. And so we just take verses out of context. We kind of like, well, you know, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so I'm going to go and I'm going to do X, Y, or Z, right, when that's not at all what that verse means. That verse doesn't mean that you can go and you can bench press, you know, 800 pounds. That verse means that you can be content in all things, right, no matter if you have nothing or if you have everything, that Christ is your contentment. And so we misuse Scripture to fit our agenda any time Anytime you use your agenda, you have your agenda, and you use God to back your agenda rather than submitting to him, you're taking God's name in vain, and you're saying you must support me rather than me giving my life and submitting my life to Christ and saying, God, I'm here to serve you. What would you have? What do you want? You're Lord and Master, not me. There's no co-pilot. He is the pilot. So the fifth one is that we are not to use God's name to deceive. So false oaths. In the Old Testament, um, what would happen often is that people would people would say, I swear to God that X, Y, and Z is true. I swear on the, the throne or the temple or all these other things, and they would use that, they would use that to authenticate that what they were saying was true, but all the while they were using it to deceive because what they said wasn't true. They used God's name to deceive others into thinking you know, that what they said was true, but they were doing that to get what they wanted. I mean, this happens often. We see this in, in the law court, right? Because literally what it means to take the Lord's name in vain is it means to to uh, lift high the name the name of the Lord in a legal sense and to misuse it and to misuse it. 
right? And so you see in law court settings, people swear on the Bible, and how often do they actually keep what they're saying? <laughs> and and sometimes we find that too, is that we will use God's name and we'll say God's name because, you know, like we get caught in a bind. You know, somebody's caught us in something and we use God's name real quick because we think that that'll get us out of it. I know kids do that. Well, I've seen kids do that all the time is they get caught and they like, I promise I didn't do it, you know, and they'll like, they'll swear, like, I swear on, you know, my mother's grave or, or whatever else I didn't do it. And they'll use something very sacred, very holy to be a signal that what they're saying is true, but they actually just use it to deceive. They use it to deceive. So those are just, those are just some. There are probably lots of other ways, but I hope you see that God, taking God's name in vain isn't just a curse word, but it's much more in depth. You see that this commandment is is very um, broad, but it has a lot of different applications to it. It has a lot of different applications. So at the end of the verse, uh, it says that, uh, that God will not hold those guiltless who take his name in vain. What does that mean? What does it mean that God won't hold those guiltless who take his name in vain? Remember when we earlier we talked about that our name brings up all of our actions. When someone close to us, remembers, and thinks about our name, it brings up a whole bunch of different things. You know, they think about not only the good, but also the bad. And the closer that person is to you, the more they know about you and the more your name brings up. You know that God knows you perfectly. God knows you inside and out. He knows you from the beginning to end. He knows all of your thoughts. He knows all of your desires. He knows everything that you ever wanted. So all of us have broken the third commandment. All of us have taken the Lord's name, whether we've used it as a curse word before, whether we've used it frivolously, maybe it's that we've used it to deceive or manipulate. All of us, and God knows. So when God thinks and sees our name outside of Christ, all of those things come to mind. All of the evil that we've ever done is brought before God's mind because he is perfect and he is holy. And so what does it mean that God is just? It means that that God punishes sin, right? And the, the Bible talks about, and this is something we don't like to talk about, but if we don't talk about the holiness of God and his justice, then we don't have an understanding of his grace and love. That God punishes sin, literally be in his presence, he destroys it. The reason that we have to be in Christ to, be, to enter into heaven is because we need perfect righteousness. Is it on our own? God will destroy us by his very presence. And that's why you see in the Old Testament and throughout the scriptures, people bow down in fear that God's coming because he undoes and unmakes people. And so God is just. God holds us accountable. In Leviticus 24, it tells a story about uh, an Israelite and uh, an Egyptian-Israelite mix. And they're, they're fighting in the camp. They're fighting. And the Israelite and Egyptian uh, mixed person, he takes and he swears on the name of the Lord. He swears on the name of the Lord. And uh, and they, they take him and they hold him in custody. And Moses decides, and the people, and the Lord leads them to stone him. He's stoned for taking the Lord's name in vain. In Leviticus 24, 15 through 16, it says this. It says, and speak to the people of Israel, saying, whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All of the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native. When he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. All of us stand condemned before God. All of us, because of his justice, stand guilty. We see that's not the end of the story, right? Thank goodness. 
is that not only are we to revere God's name, but something amazing happens in Christ. Is that when Christ comes, he gives us the ability to receive God's name. Right? The name that we just talked about that is holy and transcendent, that is infinite, that is both personal and loving. Jesus comes and he gives us the ability to receive that name. So I've, I tell a story often, but um, I want you to imagine that there are um, that all of us are are homeless, all of us are beggars, all of us come and have nothing, and one day we who have nothing, a king comes, and that king adopts us into his family. He takes us in, and we are no longer homeless. We are no longer without an identity. We are no longer without a name. But now we have been given a name, the name of the king. But you see, we struggle with that because at times we still revert back to our old habits. Sometimes we still steal. Sometimes we still covet. We still see things and we sneak them. We don't. We still act out of our old nature. But the more you re- realize that you've been given the name of the king, the more you will begin to live in light of that. The more you'll begin to live in light of that. In John 3, Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a teacher of law, and Nicodemus comes, and he says, uh, we know that you're a teacher sent from God, because no one can do the things that you've done unless someone sent him, you know, unless God sent him. And, and Jesus begins to tell him, he says, you know, unless someone is born again, unless someone is born again, they cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is confused, and he says, how can a man be born again? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus says, you must be born of water and the Spirit. You see, we all have a natural birth, right? All of us proceed birth physically. But there's a second birth that Jesus talks about, one that is spiritual. And that when we come and when we receive God's name, and if you're not, if you're not a Christian here, or perhaps you are, and you haven't realized what it means to be in the divine family, that God in Christ offers you adoption. He gives you his name to bear, to have, to hold. It's When you give someone your name, that is whole life sharing. So I don't know, some of you are married, and you've thought about that. I'm sure that was a pretty sobering thought for you to think about, that you're giving your name to someone for the rest of your life because you're taking their name upon you, right? All that their name has on it, all the baggage, all the hurt, all the pain, you're taking that, and you're bearing it with one another. And you see, Jesus knew all that our name was attached, all that was attached to our name. You know, it's it's as if we were... We were the wife that was unfaithful. We were, we were the person that, that spent our time before marriage, and we were frivolous with it. And we went around, but Christ was pure, and he was holy. And he came in, and he said, listen, I will marry you. I will pursue you. I will come, and I will wed you, and I will take everything that your name has, and I will give you everything that my name is. You see, when you realize this, you will stop working to achieve your identity. You do, all of us, we do what we believe who we are. Right? Your actions proceed forth from your identity. The only reason you do anything is because you think that that is some part of who you are. And you begin to, to work out of your identity. But when you realize first and foremost that God has made you a child, you will begin to act out of that identity as a child of God. First John 3 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. 
when you realize that you are God's child, you'll live out of it. You're God's child now that you don't have to wait. You don't have to earn. One of the most powerful things um, that begins to change is I, I played basketball throughout high school, and part of why I did that was because that was what I saw my father doing. Is that you begin, when you realize you're a child of God, you begin to want to do what your father does. You'll see where he's at work. You'll see how he's doing things, and you'll begin to do that. And that's what Jesus did. That was what Jesus' whole life was modeled off of. He says, I can't do anything unless my father is at work. And what I see my father doing, I will likewise do. But none of us do things to earn being a child, right? You're born into a family, and hopefully your family didn't say, well, listen, we'll give you a name when you, uh, I don't know, when you get a job, you know, and just say, listen, like, you better start producing to the family. When you start producing to the family, then we'll give you a name, right? Nobody did that, right? I mean, if you did, you're terrible, right? You shouldn't do that. Um, you, your child got a name, right? And they, they got a family, and out of that family name, they started to live. They started to grow. They started to figure out what life was like. And do you realize that's the truth? But often of us, we don't believe that. We think that we still have to earn our standing before God. Day in and day out, we don't really believe that we are our children of God. We don't really believe that he loves us as much as he loves his son Jesus. Because what do you think of when, when God the Father hears of Jesus' name? When God the Father thinks of, of his son's name, all of Jesus' actions come to mind, right? Jesus' perfect love, Jesus' perfect humility, Jesus' self-sacrifice, his, you know, I mean, all the characteristics of Christ come to mind when God the Father thinks of his son's name. And Jesus has given us his name. And so what do you think God the Father thinks of when he sees her, or when your name is brought to mind? He thinks of his son. All that his son has done, all that his son did is put upon you his perfect righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, For God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And it's called the great exchange, that we are able to take God's name and be in the divine family, that Jesus took our baggage, Jesus took our name upon himself on the cross, and that if you will receive that, and if you will believe that, that will change the way that you live. You see, it's identity received, not identity achieved is that we receive the identity from God. We don't work to achieve it. It changes everything. Romans eight fourteen through 16 talks about how we will live if this is what we believe. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, God gives us and implants his spirit in us that we might see God the Father the same way that Jesus did. That we would say that you are my papa, that you are my father, and that we would no longer fall back into fear because God can change you. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God can change you. God can take your life and can use it for his glory and use it for his purpose. He can heal any wound. He can mend up any brokenness that you've ever faced. And in, in Christ, in Christ, we have a new family, right? All of us are brothers and sisters. So, so for those of you that haven't, you've missed out on the family you've always wanted, you have a family. You have a people that love you, that care for you. You have a father that is perfect, that will never let you down. In Christ, we are adopted into a new family. So 
what does it mean to reflect? We talked about what it means for us to revere God's name, right? We revere God's name because he's present in his name, he's holy, and because his name is filled with love and with intimacy, right? We've talked about, you know, how we revere it, and the biggest way that we revere it is that we receive it. If you really understand that there's power in his name, that you'll want to bear that same name. Now, the last part is we talk about how do we reflect it, right? How do we reflect God's name? We reflect God's name by living lives that are marked by holiness, and by lives that are marked by by intimacy and love with others. I think often the reason that the world isn't changed, that our cultures aren't changed, is because we don't live lives that are holy. So are we living lives that are set apart, that are changed? Because people notice people notice when you live differently than them. People notice when you honor God's name and when you treat people with love and respect. When you say, no, I'm not going to spend my money that way. No, I'm not going to spend my time that way. No, I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to treat those people that way. Why? Because God didn't treat me that way. God refused to, to gossip about me when I was slandering him. God refused to, to hate me when I rejected him. And so I, too, am going to look at my Heavenly Father, and I am going to live as he lived holy and set apart from this world but not only am i holy and set apart not only do i say no to the world not only do i reject parts of it and do i turn from it but i also embrace and love people within it right because we are not of the world but we live in the world because if you're just holy then you're just going to divide from everybody and you're going to realize that there's nobody left because none of us are perfect and so we are called to live lives that are holy but we're also called to love and to be intimate with people. So do you love people deeply? Do you know your coworkers? Do you know what they're struggling with? Do you know what's going on in their lives? Are you praying for them? Do you know people that are far from God, and are you engaging with them? Are, are we passive? Do we sit back and say, well, God will handle it. I'm just going to go about my daily business, and I'm just going to let, you know, whatever will be, will be. Or do we actively seek the good of those around us? Do we seek to serve them? You see, the way that we reflect God's name is by looking at how our Father operates, is by looking at how he's worked in our life and doing the same thing. We must see first what God has done before we understand what we must do. We must see what God has done before we can then look and turn and see what we must do. So if you're far from God, I would encourage you, have you received Christ's name? Are you in the divine family? Because right now, this is God's wooing you to accept him. This is God's wooing you to receive forgiveness and wholeness in his name, that he wants to adopt you, and he wants to give you everything that his name brings to mind, his perfection, his humility, his goodness, his love. He wants to give you all of these things, and he wants to take upon himself all that you have ever done, that you might be forgiven, that you might know love. If you're in Christ, if you follow Christ, are you living a life that is holy? Are you living a life that is marked with love? This is what is to demonstrate. The way that we love one another demonstrates that, that Jesus is, that we are from Christ, that we are his disciples. And that will lead people to him. That will lead people to him. So pray with me now. God, thank you so much um, for your name, for its power, for who you are. I pray that you would help us to revere your name that we would see um, that you are with your name, that you are holy, that you are loving, that we would think about that um, by, by honoring your name, the gospel is spread, 
that when we truly fear your name, people receive Christ and, and cultures are changed, God, that you can change the whole socioeconomic situation of St. Pete with such a small group as even as here, Lord. If we will take this and if we will implant this into our heart and we will realize that we are sons and daughters of the king and we will live out of that identity, that we will honor your name, Lord, that you will do amazing things. And so help us, God. Help us not just to listen, but help us to confess and repent of sin. For all of us at times have taken your name in vain. All of us have at times used your name to manipulate and to deceive, to get what we wanted. And so, God, we come together right now and we confess our sin. And we ask that you would help us to change the way that we think that we would honor you and that we would please you. Thank you that you love us because of Jesus. It's in your name that we pray, Christ. Amen. Love you guys.